Welcome to the Abbey Talks, for a change not recorded in front of a live theatre audience. My name is Lisa Farley, coordinator of the talks here at the Abbey. It is the first day of the fit-up of A Midsummer Night's Dream, so we have wisely kept away from the main stage and found a quiet spot to record insights into the production and examine the attitudes and philosophy of ageing. And to do this, I have hijacked out of the rehearsal room Director Gavin Quinn and Professor Des O'Neill, Consultant Physician in Geriatric and Stroke Medicine and Professor of Medical Gerontology, Tala Hospital. Over to you, Gavin. So, Des, um, we've only met a couple of times, sir, once, uh, once and then by email, but uh, it was interesting to go out and visit uh, your work place out in Tala and just sort of have a little look around. Um, I think I probably didn't tell you, but I, we, we did. Uh, we were there a bit early, and we sort of happened upon a few um, common rooms and sort of quite interesting the atmosphere, um, what you would expect and what you wouldn't expect, you know. But the, but what remind, what what struck me was the um, um, when I went in was just a gentleman just sitting by himself at a table in absolute stillness and um, just it's hard to describe exactly. Um, what he was doing, sort of interesting. That was the first, my first mm -hmm. introduction, I suppose, to your workplace. So, yeah, I have to say, I'm really excited at the prospect of this version of a Midsummer's Night Dream with uh, mature or older or whatever word we wish to use for actors, mm. because um, very often our image of the radical nature of theatre might very often focus on younger people, and I think we're missing out on a lot. Although, as you mentioned, in my workplace, I tend to see a lot of older people who've got problems and disabilities, the thing that constantly strikes me as a geriatrician and why I enjoy being a geriatrician is the richness of old age, the richness of experience, the ability to bring life's experiences you know, together into a focus, something that's been called the life course review. So I'm utterly fascinated. I really work, enjoy working with older people. And the more I delve into the area of ageing, the more I find what we've gained from ageing. And I think we're beginning to see this in a broader sense in the arts from very mature conductors, for example, like Boulez or Christoph Eschenbach, still conducting in their 80s. We're beginning to see it in popular movies, such as Amour, where we see these two extraordinary mm. actors in their 80s. So I think we're beginning to uncover a richness, a richness that it covers, that, that comes not only in spite of ageing, but actually much more importantly, because of ageing. Mm. It's like the CD you gave me, of uh, which, which has a compilation of composers who had composed, as well as it was our last piece of work essentially, wasn't it? And some of the, some of the composers yeah. were in their 80s. And you t in the introduction it talks about how, with that much experience, with, how much, with all, the, all the creativity behind them, how they could just get to the essence of their work, but it takes sometimes it takes that much time to actually uh, to make a great work of art. In their case, the composition. So that actually, they needed to be that old to write that music. Yes, I mean I think one of the things that's very striking about a lot a lot of late life art, and you'll see it in great uh, older actors, is economy. People know how to strip away the unessential. You see it in Foray's late nocturnes, which his contemporaries had thought he lost it. But in fact, we now value these because they're stripped away. So when I think of many of the great actors I've seen at the end of their, towards the end of their careers, for example, like Cyril Cusack, there was this extraordinary economy of gesture, uh, a richness. There's also the ability to bring together contradictory elements. 
there is a piece in the Bible which talks, your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And I think what this is trying to say to us is that when we're younger, we see visions of things that are often in conflict with our daily life and we try and resolve them and it's part of the struggle. But what's wonderful about dreaming dreams is that dreams are. We take them as they are. Mm. We don't, we're able to reconcile the contradictory in dreams. And I think it's one of the particularly nice way, um, aspects of a midsummer's night dream, which so much is involved with hazing the boundary between dreaming and reality. So old men are dreaming dreams, and I can think of no finer place for it to happen than a midsummer's night dream. Yeah, and in that play, I suppose that um, you 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 get a sense. I mean, I suppose dream a, a dream world is just one one part of reality. It depends on what you um, uh, how you value it, I suppose, and how you interpret it. But in midsummer night's dream, you do get that sense of um, that. I suppose the dream world is artificially created through this kind of great sort of sort of quite quite bonkers plot actually but you do get a sense of the dream world with Shakespeare's poetry operating on many many levels and even when you're working with the actors sometimes um, the actors find it quite difficult because they say well who am I here and what am I doing but in many ways you say well there perhaps there is no subtext it just exists as a dream exists the poetry exists it operates on all kinds of levels thematically and through metaphor and eventually you just hit upon it but the, the senior actors seem to understand yes it works and uh, just go with it and don't be too concerned about understanding it. So that's, that's quite interesting working with senior actors. They, they just seem to be able to, um, to, I suppose, execute it, to make it concrete without perhaps really considering it. You know? so like in the same way that perhaps a younger actor might, might analyse it. Absolutely. And a, and a lot of late art has these elements sometimes of chaos. If you think of Mozart's last opera, The Magic Flute, it appear it it shares many resemblances with Midsummer's Night Dream. The characters are not necessarily what they seem. The Queen of the Night when she starts yeah. out, and then and Sir then Astro is he good or bad? Exactly. Yeah. This yeah. this ambivalence and dealing with ambivalence is something that older people get to much more readily. Mm. And I find this in my practice all the time. It's a sense of wisdom, perhaps, is it that's associated with old age? I'm not sure. If that's it, no, I think wisdom's a really good word for it, and I, but and I think it's one of those words that's got a bit abraded by usage, and mm. we say, oh yes, wisdom. But in fact, wisdom is the sort of thing that makes older drivers, despite all the illnesses they have, much safer than younger drivers, for example. So it has a very real premium, and it also has a premium in terms of how we deal with relationships, how we deal with conflict. And indeed, there's quite a bit of conflict in this play. And it also deals with conflicts in sexuality. And I think one of the things that's lovely for me is I'm, we're very interested in our group about what sexuality means in later life. And what's nice about the literature of sexuality in later life is that it opens it out way beyond just acts of intercourse or, or, or sex, mm. sexual actions. And it's around intimacy and meaning and relevance and affection. So what I think we get is a, we, we all have dreams and actions around sexuality that are very hard to articulate and a piece of great drama or poetry like Shakespeare acted through older actors for me I think it's going to be one of the most interesting aspects I'm looking forward to. Mm, mm, I hope so. Uh, yes, yeah, been. I mean it's, it's um, so far I think you, you there are moments that, that are hit upon and there are moments of confusion, but I think the most, the most um, 
interesting levels you've got so far is the transformation you see in the in the actors who are playing the parts of the lovers, which are normally played by you know the bright young things or actors mm -hmm. in their twenties, just through the plot without actually really sort of affecting their acting, just seeing them become younger, a younger version of themselves without sort of archly changing their their mm -hmm. physical representation. But the, you can see that just by following the story, you can see this senior actor, and and for a moment they look about twenty. So it's really interesting. Mm -hmm. When that happens. Yeah, it's interesting. When, when the students put these sort of questions to me, I, I often say, is it vitality or is it youth? And I actually think what it is, it's about, it's about again, we're always searching for meaning, but it's, that's often thought of in a very cognitive or intellectual way, but actually we're looking for emotional and effective meaning. And when people feel loved or feel in love, they relax, they, something shines through. Mm. And I often think that rather than being youthful, if I were to put it back to you, mm. I'd say, is it that they actually look vital mm. and they feel relevant? Yeah, that's yeah. exactly it, I think. It's the vitality they have in getting up at night and uh, going into the woods. Yes, indeed, indeed. The, the wood for wood, whatever the wood means, but uh, <laughs> you know, certainly it has that connotation of... Um, Kind of pagan ritual of some sort. Or, well, I mean, it's just the sort of like the Shrove Tide, the old, the old men and, the women, and, and young men and women going into the wood at night for an adventure of yes. some description, a um, release on a certain evening where they could. Yeah, and these, this is something, again, what, the biggest barrier to expressing sexuality, I think, among older people and intimacy is actually the preconceived notions of people around them. Oh, those old people holding hands, for example. Mm. Uh, so I think it's around us to open out and to realize that one of the hallmarks of aging is the first one is that two, any two older people are much more different from each other than two younger people. But secondly, we mustn't let them be defined by their disability. So again, I'm really interested to see this challenge of avoiding a caricature of disability, you know, mm. the Zimmer frame, the stooped posture. Yeah. And, but this breaks through every day in my clinical life, mm. is where somebody who seems to be bedbound and not taking attention makes them sharp, wise crack. Yeah. Um, and also, a very common thing I find, a part of what goes back to saying about composers stripping down uh, and getting away from the unnecessary, people also often get less inhibited. And I find this extraordinarily refreshing. I've seen this not only among older uh, acquaintances and relatives, but among the patients. They begin to, to talk more openly about positive and negative experiences. They talk, start beginning to tell people that they love them. Uh, people who are often very buttoned up. Mm -hmm. So actually there are, uh, one has to be careful, one doesn't sound like Pollyanna here, yes. saying that, you know, you know, joy through suffering or something like that but but many of the narratives of later life say that people begin to understand their true selves by coming up against the buffers of their limitations mm. and there's an article that you sent me which there's a story about um, um, people changing late in life in a, in a way I suppose you could say not changing their personality but having a totally new experience for themselves and then the son coming in and actually telling everybody, no, my mother's a terrible person. How come everyone likes her? And uh, because mm. she's in a, in, a, in a different environment, such as an, an, a retirement home or some sort of institution, she rediscovers and reinvents herself. Absolutely. And, and the son is sort of upset that, no, he's convinced that his mother is um, 
lying to everybody. So it's interesting to how people can change late in life, depending on their surroundings and depending on, I suppose, the new conversations they have. Absolutely, sparking up new relationships. Mm. And I think it's, it's one of the most challenging things for an adult child who has very often quite a <coughs> set notion of how their parents are or their parents should be, is to find parents entering into new relationships. And actually the person who has to grow up most is, is the adult child in the setting. But you know, it's, it's often not easy. And particularly, possibly, if we have a range of relationships with our parents. Some people have had a very challenging relationship and actually find it difficult then to adapt to this new reality, just mm-hmm. as you're describing. Well, we've changed, I've changed around the, um, the, I suppose, the plot somewhat in the beginning of Midsummer Night's Dream in that it's uh, Hermia's son who objects to her marriage mm-hmm. or her love affair. Um, so it's interesting to see how people will, will view that. Um, it's, it comes across as strange and bizarre, obviously, because um, somebody's mother being put to death um, in, in, a, in a kind of institution. So it'll be interesting to see the reaction. But I suppose I, uh, you'll see that when you see the performance, there are, in fact, um, I suppose, an installation of Rolator's medical walking aids and all kinds of paraphernalia as a kind of um, art exhibition, but you'll see, um, hopefully you won't find it um, too, uh, too much of a caricature. <laughs> hopefully not, no. Yeah. I'm, I'm very optimistic. I, yeah. I have to say I'm very impressed in my clinical life. For, uh, on Thursday uh, this week, I'll be working with actors around a clinical scenario in a clinic where I'm telling somebody he has dementia. And I have to say, I'm always stunned at the ability of actors to live and breathe air into what I thought was a fairly stock scenario. So I, I have no doubt that uh, I think given the interaction we've had, given the um, strong sense that ageing is a time that brings growth as well as loss, I, I'm very optimistic about what I'm going to see. Yeah. I'm really looking forward yeah, to the opening night. And uh, yeah, so then the other element, I suppose, in Midsummerized Dream that you kind of focus on is that in this scenario, or in this conceit, um, Theseus and Apollo, I suppose, are directors or staff at this institution. And of course then they, in one sense, control the residents. And uh, so it would be interesting to see what people um, make of that scenario as well, I suppose. Yeah, that's a very nice metaphor. I think, again, in residential care uh, around the world, people are on the cusp of this struggle around changing from institution to home. Um, that wonderful Swedish book and film, The Hundred Year Old Man Who Climbed Out the Window and Disappeared, uh, the matron of the home wouldn't let him have his vodka. So uh, again, I think it is really, really important. I think this is a really interesting message about how people respond to this form of somewhat author- authoritarian, perhaps paternalistic approaches to what should really be their home. Uh, and again, trying but to understand that those who are in authority also have their own challenges in trying to manage. Manage, yes, of yeah. course, yes, so it's very true. So, Gavin, as a gerontologist, what fascinates me is perhaps some of the backstory around the actors themselves, or these people who've been continuously uh, um, acting, or have there been breaks? Uh, has this been? Has there been any discussion between them among during the rehearsals and preparation about being an older actor in a in in a in a in a, in a production a conceit that's aimed at aging? Uh, I'd be interested in your reactions. Yeah, yeah well, we we there's been a number of senior actors we've worked with um, in our own company, Pan Pan, over the last couple of years, and 
one of the actresses, um, Anya Niwari, and uh, she performed with us on two Beckett pieces, Beckett's two radio plays, Embers and All That Fall. And uh, it was interesting, I met people um, at a function, they were going, it's great to see Anya acting again, you kind of re 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 kickstarted her career, and this type of, you know, um, kind of narrative, I suppose. Um, but some of the actors we're working with now for Midsummer Night's Dream would be in their 80s and perhaps haven't been on stage for a number of years. So it's a very strange experience. They're, they're back playing parts that they might have played in 1960 or 1970 mm -hmm. and kind of uh, parts they never thought they would have played, in fact. And uh, I got one text from one of the senior actors saying, uh, who was cast as Hermia, and she said, um, is there a mistake? <laughs> but it is. <laughs> It is, uh, it is, and some of the actors, of course, are from you know the original Abbey Company. The Abbey used to have an acting ensemble, mm -hmm. and uh, it's really fascinating to work with them because they, it's it's the anecdotage, I would say, you know, mm -hmm. the about the past and about they have they have this shared experience, and uh, but no, it's 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 quite extraordinary, and it's sort of like um, they never left. Yes. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of the of the of the changing of the text of the reworking, how do they feel about that? Were there traditionalists? Um, a lot, a lot of a lot of the older actors um, are are happy to try it out and just sort of try the conceit. They're happy to go along. They're I think they're from a generation where um, you do what the director wants, mm -hmm. and uh, they uh, they I think somebody said there was a joke about. Um, uh, one of the younger actors said, "I don't really want to move any furniture in this show because it's sort of a, it's sort of a whatever complaint." <laughs> and one of the older actors said, "Well, you obviously haven't been out of work for very long, <laughs> so not that they're compliant, but they have that experience that um, they they want to make the show work, and um, they tend to sort of get on with it. Actually, again, going back to the experience, and uh, they tend to just they tend they tend to just sort of you know do it and uh, make it work and." Uh, they're sort of content to, um, you know, try the lines out, try scenes out. They don't really want to talk about it too much. They're sort of happy to dive in, you know, almost like almost like very good um, musicians. Yeah. yeah, and again, not trying to pander to popular prejudice, but clearly actors are spent all of their life learning lines, will have developed a different type of memory to other people. Mm. But was memory an issue for lines, remembering lines? Um, so far, so, so far uh, not so. There's been a few, a few times when people um, have lost their concentration slightly and yeah. it's been difficult to mean, you know, Shakespeare is not the easiest um, text, any Shakespeare play isn't the easiest text to learn. There are often so many similarities, you know, yeah. fair Hermia, sweet Hermia, you know, and is mm. it fair and sweet in which one? And yeah. uh, so it's, it can be it can be very difficult, but uh, they uh, what 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 most of the what some of the uh, senior actors have done is they seem to have learned their lines before they came to rehearsal, mm -hmm. so they decided to learn early, so they wouldn't have that stress yeah. and um, of of uh, of sort of you know doing line runs in the last week. So a lot of them actually did learn their lines early and because uh, then spent a lot of time at home. I suppose then they could relax and enjoy it more, enjoy the experience of performing the play. Well, you know, that's so interesting because it illustrates one of the theories of optimal or successful aging, which is called selection, optimization and compensation. And actually it's about being strategic and it's about optimizing by practicing. Uh, so you actually you're living, this is living out of uh, gerontological uh, uh, theory. And in terms of, did it evoke any memories of 
their own older parents or older relatives. Yeah, I mean, in, in, I think in, um, some of the actors talked about their, their parents being in various institutions and home and just describing the, I suppose, the, the topsy-turvy emotional experience of that and, and, and the, the good days and bad days of visiting mm-hmm. their, their parents. And um, and how things could change so quickly on an emotional level, and uh, to remind him somewhat of the play of how um, when Lysander and Demetrius are given the, sort of the purple flower by Puck, how they instantly change course. And they're talking about that in terms of the uh, just seeing um, their parents in perhaps at whatever stage of they were at a, in an institution, seeing them actually. Change personality so much, you know. So yeah, whatever, yeah. whatever condition they had, or whatever, whatever, whether it was just. And of course, the other interesting thing is that, um, given that we're our longevity is increasing at two years every ten years, and that we're all growing fitter and healthier, is they're almost certainly far healthier and far fitter than their parents or grandparents mm. were at these ages. Uh, yes. Which I'm not sure that's, you know, they say eating bread is soon forgotten, but I'm not sure do people realise how fortunate we are. I mean, the idea that we have a stage full of actors, many in their 80s, to me is, uh, I couldn't ask for a finer um, attestation to what we've gained with ageing. So mm. this is great for the Abbey, it's great for Pan Pan. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, no, and the thing is that it's part of the concept for this show is to gather together this really great ensemble of senior actors and it's kind of a tribute to them as well so I think that's part of the atmosphere that you enjoy in the performance part of the empathy you have mm. for the performance so that's definitely um, if you like that's part of the curatorial idea of bringing yeah. these actors together and it really it works on that level and they, they hold their nerve and they um, they know how to exist they know how to exist in the right way and they do know how that less is more I think yeah. it's a really interesting show Absolutely. Well, I have to say, I'm really looking forward to it. I have a strong sense that if you had younger actors playing the older actors, they would cur- perform a caricature. Whereas for the older actors, it's nearer to them. Mm. And they don't want to be confined. So I, I actually think that this, this will, 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 will actually shine through. Yeah, yeah, because it'll be their choices about what they perceive as being respectful to playing an older character. It's quite different if you yourself are in your 70s. So that's your point to yeah, make. Yeah. No, it's uh, uh, generally trying to speak about older people. We use the phrase. I try to promote the age, although it's a little clumsy. Instead of saying older people, we should say us as we age. So I think you've got a really nice uh, distillation of us as we age here. Mm-hmm.